Joining me right now on the Dr. Glad Regrow Your Hairline, Dr. Paul Glad, Philadelphia's leading hair restoration doctor. Visit drglad.com. It is Tim O'Keefe. Follow him at TKO underscore picks. You can check out all of his picks over at phillyinfluencer.com. Also, very much a friend of the gambler and the program here as well. Now, I want to start with this, Tim O'Keefe, because we're starting to see this around the NFL. We're starting to see this around the NHL and NBA. COVID problems are happening all over again. We thought we were maybe past it at to happening at this length. We know the pandemic is still here. We're still going through it. But at this length, I don't I don't think we thought we were going to be back to this. And this is actually, I think, the highest amount of players in the NFL and protocol in one day. How are you handling this? And we're going to start with college first. How are you handling this with bowl games? Because I imagine that this is going to play a huge part in bowl season as well. Yeah, John, it's, it's a great question. And uh, so I, I mentioned it as we were off air. I'm going to put out a piece for Philly Influencer for bowl season. And I'm going to put a big caveat on it right now. Like Some of these games are obviously around New Year's. We're talking over two weeks out, you can't really bet them until you get up to that point. Because, yeah, you're looking at games like tonight where all of a sudden the Brooklyn Nets just now are missing a bunch of players. And obviously that shifts the spread by four or five points. And you have that with, these, with the, one of these bowl games. All of a sudden you take, oh, let's take Bryce Young off Alabama. Guess what? That spread is massively changing. And it's just tough to play these games. So you have to wait pretty much up to the minute. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a shame because, you know, one of the best things about bowl season is usually you can get in and get ahead of the curve and try to get there before everyone else starts betting the game as you're leading up to it. Unfortunately, this year, and it was the same last year, it's just really difficult to do. Um, it's a shame. Hopefully, hopefully this gets figured out where this, this is a quick little lull where we're finding people to, uh, that, like the rates picking up in locker rooms, that it feels like we're back at the beginning when sports are first coming back. But, um, yeah, no, it's a very interesting situation, to say the least. And it just means for me you have to wait up until the last minute. To get yeah, I was about to say, what, what did we learn, I guess, from last year? Is there anything? Is it basically just as simple as that? I mean, that was my thing. Just wait. You know, even though you're not maybe going to get the best line, you know, but that's what we're trying to, to get all the time. Early on, if we're betting on a Monday or Tuesday for a game that's going to happen on Sunday, we're doing it because we think we're getting the best line at this moment, and that's going to change at some point. You know, is it just at this point, look, it, it's just there's no reason to be doing that at the moment now. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the case. I mean, I know I had one guy who I talked to who his strategy for it, and I'm not, I don't know if this really worked or not, but what he did were, was he picked out some games and he kind of did alternate spreads on both sides. So you say, hey, you know what, if something happens here, like switch it, like tease it up, like the, I guess reverse tease it for three points one way or another. And that way, if something happens, hey, you could win. Uh, a little, a little bit juiced odds, and look, a lot of times games don't come that close to the exact line anyway. So a lot of times he's breaking even. That was one strategy I heard. I don't know if it really fully panned out, but you got people trying different things like that to try to find an edge. But you're right, it's just tough for me personally. It is. Hey, we got to wait and see. Um, which obviously as a gambler, you know, we'd like to get in there early and get that uh, early bird gets the worm. But yeah, it's a, it's a wait and see scenario for me. So let's get into some of those bowl games. I know you posted something for phillyinfluencer.com for the bowl season. Uh, when you went through and looked through all of these games and you put out a list of the games that you liked, uh, what was the one that stood out first? Uh, it, I, I don't know if you go through each and every game or what your process is, but what was the first game that really stood out to you? Yeah, John, so I'm going to start with one of the New Year's Six Bowls. I'm going to go to the Fiesta Bowl with Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. And I'll admit, coming into this, I kind of knew 
that I was probably going to be against Notre Dame even before the games, the seasons came, or the, uh, all the games came out for bowl season. Just because I knew they were ranked really high. I get their number five. They went 11 and one. It's a good season for them. It obviously is. It's a great year. I think any team would pretty much sign up for that. But the problem is they didn't play anybody, John. I get that there's big names. There's like USC. They beat, and then besides that, they beat like Wisconsin and Purdue. There's just nothing that's really that impressive to me. The last month of the season, they beat Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford, who combined have a record of 16 and 32 this season. There's just not a lot of challenge for Notre Dame. We know they lost to Cincinnati. That was their one game that really was the challenge on the year, and they failed. A lot of chaos going on with Brian Kelly going down to LSU, picking up a fake Southern accent and dancing horribly in some video. And there's just a mess right now in Notre Dame. And I think Oklahoma State is a, it's a good draw for them because obviously heartbreaking coming up an inch short of potentially making the playoff. I don't think they were going to bump Cincinnati, but obviously that would have been the discussion on Selection Sunday if Oklahoma State had won that game, a one-loss Big 12 champion, should they be in over Cincinnati. Didn't happen. They lost. Mike Gundy's a vet. He's been here a long time. He's been here a long time for part of this reason. I think he can get his team to rebound, get amped up, get a Fiesta Bowl win. They're the dogs getting two points. I like them outright. That's the first one that jumped out at me. So how do you play, you know, obviously the game of whether a coach leaves, a player leaves, are you are you being persuaded, whether good or bad, in a way when you see a player uh, either going into the transfer portal, coaches leaving? Like, I'll say, for example, because I know this is a little bit of a, of a different case, but still an example of it. Like, Spencer Rattler just announced that he's going to South Carolina. And, like, now it seems like there's all of this momentum for South Carolina, and they're going up against a North Carolina team that's just been really average this year, and not the season that Sam Howell and the Tar Heels won. And, you know, is that making you maybe lean a little bit towards South Carolina because they have the momentum? Like, how do you play all of the, the news items for each team as you head into the game? Yeah, John, it is a good question. I think there's a... I try, honestly, I, I think I, I try to minimize it compared to what the books and the media kind of play it up to be. So obviously I mentioned the Brian Kelly leaving. That's not the reason I like Oklahoma State. There's mainly other reasons. Is it a little bit a part of it? Sure. But your example, like, yeah, South Carolina picking up steam, getting these transfers, there's a little bit of more energy in the program. Could have a slight impact. Yes. Is that going to be one of the reasons I play that game or play that side? Probably not. If you make me call that, just going in, I had a slight lean towards South Carolina. I think they finished the season somewhat strong in North Carolina is overall throughout the year. Yeah, a little bit of a question mark. I think where it really matters news-wise is where you get key players leaving for the draft. So another example I'll bring up, and I don't think we have a decision yet from him, but like let's take a Kenny Pickett out of Pitt where they're playing Michigan State, and I believe that's the oh, – I'm going to butcher it. It might be the Sugar Bowl. I know they're playing Michigan State. But um, like if Kenny Pickett declares the draft, that's going to drastically change my opinion, right? Because then I think like, Michigan State can just control the ball at the run game and probably takes the win. If Kenny Pickett plays, uh, I'm all over Pitt in that one. So I think that's it for me. Even more than coaches is key players leaving. So let's go to, you already gave us one game that you really liked. What is another one that you like for bowl season? So I'll go to another one that I think everyone here has their eyes on, John. I'm going to go to the Independence Bowl, which is Saturday. And that, that, was, that was sarcasm in case anyone missed that here. But <laughs> Independence, Bowl, Independence Bowl, we got UAB versus BYU. And, you know, it's a little bit of just two teams, I think, feel very opposite about being here. So BYU, they're number 13 in the playoff rankings. Guess where the other tw- the top 12 are? They're in the New Year's Six Bowl. They're in the Fiesta. They're in the Rose. They're in the, all the big-name ones. Even the ones that are, even teams that aren't in the national championship uh, persuasion, like in the semifinals, 
it's still exciting. Hey, going to the Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl. Yes, like those have big names. BYU now, the first team, I guess, out of the rankings in that sense. I know it's not automatic in the top 12 go. It's just the way it happened this year. But BYU is now in the Independence Bowl going to Shreveport, Louisiana, and I'm just not buying in they're going to be amped up for this game. Whereas UAB, a program that six years ago, I believe, folded, and since then has bounced back, and now they've made a bowl in four out of five, ga- four out of five years. And they had a little momentum this year. They played really well in the conference USA. I get it's not that strong a conference. But they did. They battled very well against UT San Antonio, who was undefeated going into November. Again, they didn't get a ton of respect in the rankings because of who they played, and I fully understand that. But UAB played them very tight, lost by three in late November against an undefeated team at the time. And there's a lot of fight in this team. They went eight and four, getting seven points there. I just don't know if BYU is going to be really amped up to get there. And BYU's defense down in the second half of the season really started to let a, uh, allow teams to take advantage of them. With Baylor scoring 38 points, it was a very good team. But then they also let up 49 points to Virginia and 31 points to USC. All those in the second half. Their defense has started to take a little lax back, and I don't think the motivation is going to be up where I think UAB is amped up to get there. So I'm going to go with the Blazers plus seven in that one. You know what? I love it. I can't believe you went with the UAB bet, and guess what? I am absolutely all for it. So, uh, yeah, I like my uh, old conference USA foes there that I used to watch a lot, and good to see UAB back. And they've actually been really good since they've been back as well. So it is very good to see. All right, Tim O'Keefe, I do want to switch things over to the NFL because that's where I want to talk most of our time with you. You can follow Tim at TKO underscore picks over on Twitter. And Tim, we have a Thursday night game again. I loved last week's Thursday night game, and it was my favorite play of the week, and I got it with Minnesota. And I'm not going to lie, I love Thursday again with the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you love anything on Thursday night? I'm not going to go with a love either side. I'll be, this is a tough one for me. I know the Chiefs have been rolling, at least in the win column as of late, playing very well. There is something in my gut I am leaning towards taking the points of the Chargers just by how good Justin Herbert's been and how the Chiefs, as I just mentioned, they've gotten the wins. A lot of these wins in this stretch have been ugly. I know they have absolutely dominated the Raiders last week, so they did have that momentum there. But their only good wins, I'll say, in the past month and a half, are two dominating wins over the Raiders. The Chargers are really fighting. I, they're not going to win the division, I don't think, but in their minds, they still have a shot. They're at home, coming to SoFi Stadium. I think I want to take the points of the Chargers there, but I don't want to make it seem like I, I am in love with this game. It's more of a backing Justin Herbert because he's just been phenomenal. I think it's probably not going to happen, but you know, there's no one that's clear-cut, in my opinion, right now for MVP. And you might be able to sell me on a Justin Herbert if they were to win a game like this and build some momentum and maybe they catch up and win that division. It's not like Kansas City's uncatchable here. They faltered earlier in the year. It could come back. I would lean Chargers, but I don't want to say love it. That game has moved in the Chargers' favor, well, in the Chargers' uh, direction. Chiefs were a four-point favorite. That is now all the way down to three. So now the Chiefs are laying the three on the road against the Chargers. We have two Saturday games, Tim. Now, the Browns-Raiders one is going to be a little bit tough, so I'm going to skip that because Browns are in enhanced protocols, so uh, they are a six-point favorite now down to three against the Raiders, so we'll skip that one. But the Colts and Patriots is an interesting one. I know that there is a lot of love for the Patriots, and they're getting two and a half, and that seems to be a favorite play right now for a lot of Sharps to want to hop in on the Patriots before they get to maybe being a favorite by the time we get to this game on Saturday, is that the same read you have on this one? 
John, I'll be honest. I, I, I'm reading I actually like the way this sets up for the Colts in this scenario. When I, I do, too. Line, okay, we're aligned, so that means it's almost certainly going to lose. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but there's something – like the way the Colts play the game, obviously it's ball control with Jonathan Taylor – and then you, Carson can do what he needs to do in most situations. They've been successful this year. They've been on a pretty good hot streak themselves, except for that one week where they lost against the Buccaneers in a tough one where they let them sneak back on them. But I do like the way the Colts line up because, yeah, they can control the ball with Jonathan Taylor. Their defense is very solid, and I think they can try to limit. What the Patriots do, I think, is an equal to or a slightly different version of what the Colts do, where it's mainly a run game and then a contained quarterback. Obviously, we saw that a couple Monday nights ago when they only threw three passes. I think the Colts defense is a little more prepared to handle that setup, and it's obviously also not going to be in that tundra that was Buffalo. I, you know, it's going to be a big showing point for Carson Wentz this game. I really do think that, because I do think Belichick's going to find a way to limit Johnson Taylor, not shut him down. He might still, he's probably still even going to get 100 yards because he's just an absolute beast. But he can lower his yards per carry and then maybe not let him get to the 150 mark. I really am buying it here that the Colts are lining up they're in the, it's in their own building Saturday night. I'm going to take Indy, but I agree. The, the, the sharp money going in the Patriots is making me a little bit hesitant. Yeah, I don't know if I would be hesitant on that. I think it's just too much love for the Patriots. The same way, like, Sharps have loved the Eagles. That one hasn't panned out, I would say, as much and lately. But the Patriots have been getting this love all season long, and they continue to. Like, at some point, they're going to lose another game. I don't think this team is going to just win every single game you know, I think they're on a seven-game winning streak and then completely win out for the rest of the season. I don't think that's going to happen. Their offense is going to regress at some point. I don't know if maybe that's going to happen here, but Jonathan Taylor certainly is going to do a better job at running against the Patriots than whatever Matt Breida, Devin Singletary, and I don't think Zach Moss played, but whatever running back was playing in Buffalo. I think it's going to be a lot better for Jonathan Taylor. So I do like the Colts to be able to control that game a little bit more now, one line that sort of, it seems like a lot, and I'm just curious your thoughts on it. It's kind of an ugly game, but it's an NFC East game, so I'll give it that at least. The Cowboys are laying 10.5 on the road against the Giants. I know the Giants are dealing with some injuries, but 10.5 seems like a ton of points for a Cowboys team that hasn't looked necessarily good. Uh, is this a game you're going to go anywhere near, uh, or do you think that also that 10.5 seems a little bit off? John, I, I'm going to say it's tough because I am Doug Reed with you. I'm with you because 10 and a half has so many points. But I know the Giants traditionally, they've been a better road dog than they have a home dog. They've been bad home on, but they've been a bad home team under Joe Judge. There's no denying that. Absolute train wreck. Whereas on the road against the spread, at least you can find some glimmers of hope with what they've done. They've been bad. The Cowboys obviously looked really good against Washington last week until they didn't towards the second half of that game and let them sneak back in. I don't know if the Giants have that fight back in them like that. So if Dallas can come out guns a blazing like they did to start that last week's game against Washington, which they have, the, they have more talent, John. It's sad that the Cowboys are the best team in the division, in my opinion, by a very solid margin. And I, I think this is a game where they just take control and kind of eliminate the whole, hey, the division's still open with a dominating win here over the Giants. The spread's telling me, Cowboys, they're begging me to take the Giants at home. And just recently, under Joe Judge, they have not been a good home team to bet on. I'm going to lay the 10.5 of the Cowboys, but I agree. It's a big number in the NFL. Anytime I have to lay double digits in the NFL, I do feel a little queasy. Yeah. But I, I, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to say I'll ride with the Cowboys in this one. Yeah, and it it should be. Like, that should be the way we, we would lean. It's just that with the way the Cowboys have been playing lately, uh, I still think good, but it's not obviously at their best, and they've been able to keep teams in games. Uh, ten and a half seems like a lot on the road uh, with the way they're playing and in a divisional game against a rivalry uh, in the New York Giants. So I want to just break the news, Tim. Not break the news, but if anybody hasn't heard yet, Steph Curry is now the all-time leader in made threes. He now has 2,974 as he passes Ray Allen for the NBA lead in their careers for three-pointers made. Ray Allen did his in thirteen, just about 1,300 games. Steph Curry in 789 games broke the record. That is unbelievable. Steph Curry, uh, what is Steph Curry, at least in your eyes, when it comes to one of the greats in basketball? Because this is obviously a huge accomplishment in the way he did it. This dude completely changed the game. Yeah, and John, so when I think about Ray Allen, the guy who he just passed, I just remember, look, spot-up shooter, all-time great player. He was. I, Ray Allen, my, I was a shooter growing up myself, basketball-wise. I think that's just what I like to do in the game. And Ray Allen was my guy. I loved watching Ray Allen where he has got the ball instant so quick, got it up, and it seemed like it switched every time. Steph Curry, and this is no, I'm not trying to be disrespectful Ray Allen, Steph Curry is so much better it's just, it's insanity to me. He's absolutely changed the whole game. We've seen the stats over the last decade, really, since he came to the league, where teams are shooting so many more threes. Teams are, players are taking longer threes because they see, hey, Steph can do it. Some other guys try to do it, and some can do it to an extent. No one's done it like Steph. He absolutely changed the NBA to the point where they're trying to, like, we've heard the discussions where they're talking about ways to limit how many three teams are playing because they were, they were scared it's ruining the game. I think the rule they, the rule they changed last year where the, you can't lean into players is somewhat helping a little bit in terms of getting us back to realistic basketball scores. But getting back to Steph Curry, he's an all-time great. I think in this generation, it's him, LeBron, and Durant for me. It's those three. And when you think back who you're going to remember more, LeBron will be one in my opinion, but after that it's Curry. And Durant's an all-time great. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Probably Durant for me, might be a better player than Curry. It's really close. But just the way Steph played the game and how electric he is, like you go to you go three an hour and a half early just to watch this guy shoot half court shots and make nine out of ten. And he changed the game. Absolutely a blast to watch. And we all knew this was coming. It was only a matter of time. And he got there so much quicker than I think everyone expected. Yeah, and it's just that he is doing it at a time where like there's still a lot left in his career. Like, this isn't an accomplishment. He is the career leader in threes, and he's doing this at the age of 33. And in a league, and in this time now, where we're seeing players playing to 35, 36, 37, 38, and yep. doing it at a high level. With the way Steph plays, like, it's very realistic to think that he could do it at a high level, especially shooting threes the way that he has. When it's all said and done, I know we're looking way, 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 way ahead. But when it's all said and done, where do you think Steph Curry ends up in the, I guess, one? I hate to say the conversation of best player in basketball, but, I mean, this guy has to be discussed as one of the greatest players to ever play the game when it's all said and done. He absolutely does, John. And for me, I think he's probably on the cusp of a top five, probably more likely in the five to ten range. I just don't, I, I don't think he's going to be able to pass a, He's not passing Jordan unless, look, I guess, again, he does have time. I don't want to say he can't, obviously. He's an incredible player, and who knows. But I don't think he's passing Jordan. I don't think he's passing LeBron. And the centers, and when you try to debate some of them, like Wilt Chamberlain, for me, is like you look at his stat sheet, it's 
damn near impossible to pass for me because he's just inc- absolutely incredible, like scoring 50 points a game in a season, which I get it's a different game back then, but it's the way he dominated. And Steph, is, he's right in that next, next cusp for me. I think those are my top three. And then you have a bunch of guys that I can argue with for number four, where you've got the Magic Johnsons, Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, to give him credit. Like, there's a lot of guys in that next tier that I can really start to argue for. And Steph is right there in that conversation. So I'm going to go somewhere between four and ten. That, that's where I'm ending up. Yeah, and look, he has absolutely changed the game. And when we take a look at Will, Will changed the game in a way that had to be, you know, change the rules to stop him from dominating, you know. Yeah. And uh, Steph Curry has changed this entire league to when everybody sees what Steph is doing and going, oh, wow, the possibilities of what we could do if we have a player like Steph, and none have been able to. Everybody's trying to copy it. Nobody has been able to do it like Steph Curry, and it is amazing to see. Again, if you have not heard, in the garden, which is awesome that it's happening in the garden, or that it did happen in the garden, but Steph Curry has become the all-time three-point leader with 2,974 three-pointers, which is now more than the 2,973 from Ray Allen. And yeah, Sean Brace tweeted this, and I was just thinking about this. Uh, it honestly feels like this is from Sean Brace, our program director, and you can hear on the Daily Ticket from 3 to 6. Uh, it honestly feels like his run at Davidson was so recent, one heck of a career, and Steph has so much more left in the tank. That Davidson run, like that's when the legend started to grow a little bit of yep. this, okay, who is this really scrawny, you know, six-foot kid that's just dribbling over everybody and shooting ridiculous shots and making all of them. Who is this damn kid from Davidson that is doing all of these things? And to see it turn out into what it has, uh, it is it is quite remarkable that the player from Davidson that was making that incredible tournament run is now the greatest three-point shooter in the NBA. You're tuned in Line Change Fox Sports Again, presented by Cure Auto Insurance. Tim O'Keefe joining us right now on the Dr. Glatt Regory Hairline. Follow him at TKO underscore pick. So I know that went a bit into your time now talking about the NFL. So I want to talk about one game, and then I'll open it up to you. And that one game, more specific, is just, I want to talk about the Eagles. They're laying five against the football team. Football team is one of the other, I think, seven or eight teams that are in enhanced protocols right now. So meaning uh, that they are not able to meet in person. They're doing virtual team meetings and everything like that. So it's hard to really predict this game in terms of what we think Washington is going to have available to play in this one. But your early thoughts on the Eagles laying five at home against the football team. Yeah, John, I know we opened up this conversation like around the COVID situations and like how do we bet them. And this is one where it is, it's definitely interesting where we have insights like, hey, Washington's having issues. We don't know exactly who yet, but we, Washington is having some issues. The Eagles, as far as we know, are clean. I haven't heard anybody getting in the protocols on that that side. Eagles also coming off a bye week. They've had extra time to prep for them. This is one where I will say, I'll go against what I said earlier, I don't mind getting in early here on the Eagles because all of a sudden if you hear a Heineke's out or something else like that, one of the key players on that defense for Washington, that number's going to jump, and you could just try to get out in front of it. And honestly, even if it doesn't jump, I do feel comfortable personally with the Eagles minus 4.5 coming off the bye and Washington, you know, it was last year they're getting blown out by Dallas and they're coming back in the game. And it, it was, it's kind of like they got the worst of both types of losses where they were still blown out and then they fought back just to like kind of lose in a slight heartbreak. So it's a, it was a tough loss for them. And I, I'm buying into the Eagles, John. And I know every time I say that, that's when the heart gets ripped out. But I am buying in. I think the Eagles win this game by seven to 10 points, a little like over the touchdown. 
and I feel confident it's in our own building. I know we then have to go down to Washington later in the season, and that look home field plays a big deal in the NFL. I like the birds at home here. I'd lay the four point five. All right, Tim. Now I'll open it up. What week fifteen games early on here on a Tuesday at seven forty nine? Are you wanting to bet for week number fifteen? Yeah, John. So I'm going to scroll right down the list and stick with the one o'clock games. And I'm looking at Titans and Steelers, where the Steelers are getting a couple points at home. And I, I don't know what the Titans have done recently to really deserve laying points yes! at Pittsburgh. Yes, fade the Titans. I have been on this, Tim O'Keefe. Let's do it. Let's fade the Titans here. Absolutely, my friend. So I look back at it. Obviously, yeah, last week, great for them. They shut out the Jaguars 20 to nothing. Great. That's their dumpster fire. I'm not impressed. Before that, a bye week. And then finishing out for their last month, they lost 36-13 to the Patriots and 22 to 13 to the Texans. I just don't get what the Titans have done to make me think that they're going to be able to go into Pittsburgh and beat a Mike Tomlin. And I get it's Ben Roethlisberger's not, excuse me, not great anymore, but this is his last hurrah, right? Like if you lose this game, you're pretty much eliminated for the Steelers. Only a little bit of weeks left. You'd mathematically be alive, but this is almost an elimination game for them. We know Tomlin and the Steelers have been fantastic underdogs throughout his career. I am taking these points at home all day. Honestly, I, let me back off that. I'm taking the money line all day. I'll take the plus money on the money line. And I'm going to ride with the Steelers because the Titans have not earned this ever since the Derrick Harris, had Derrick Henry injury. They haven't been the same team. I don't get why they're laying points on the road. And I think that we're going to keep seeing line movement in the Steelers' direction as we go up towards Sunday. Yeah, I think so as well. And uh, I like the Steelers. I love that bet, too, getting the two points. Uh, I have been... For some reason, betting either for or against the Steelers a lot, and I've been right for some reason a lot. I actually I, I, I bet the Chicago Bears one week against the Steelers, and I got that one. I bet the Steelers against the Ravens got that. I bet the Vikings against the Steelers got that. And so now I'm feeling it again. I like the Steelers here getting the two. What I also like, though is having Tim O'Keefe on the program. Thanks for coming on, as always, Tim. And uh, we will talk with you down the line. And good luck for any bets this week and this weekend that you have, Tim O'Keefe. Thank you, John. Much appreciated. I'm going to give one more step my, my, with the Steph Curry news, a Steph Curry fun fact that I'll always love, that the Timberwolves had the two picks before the Warriors <laughs> when they got Steph. Didn't they draft and two they guards? Two, they took two point guards. Took Ricky Rubio <laughs> and Johnny Flynn. That's that's I'm going off there. The big, like honestly, biggest draft blunder in NBA history, or right there, has to be. Right. Um, I so, mean, they're yeah. going after two point guards and missed out on one that is becoming one of the best in the league. Exactly. So always my fun fact. Sorry, I had to slip that in there when we were talking since we talked about Steph. Uh, my friend, good luck on all your plays and have a good rest of your night. That is Tim O'Keefe. Follow him at tko underscore picks.